Welcome, and I'm Tamikaze, and we're gathered here today to uh, discuss the first chapter of All-American, a fake crime podcast. And uh, with us here today, next to me is... Sean Logue. Layla Rossi. And Charles Lasky. And Professor Rex. So let's start with a, a question. All right. So actually, I do. Uh, I have a question for the creator. Um, so like, like what, God? Yes, the creator, <laughs> yes, like God. But for this Thank podcast, <laughs> uh, so the um, so a lot of this seems very similar to uh, like a reality bites thing. But also, I I find it's I find it's very similar to the play um, Four Forty Eight Psychosis by Sarah Kane, which is. Um, I wouldn't say it's a good play, but it's a play that is basically a suicide note. The the 448 is a uh, reference to the time, which is say I think they say like oh at 448 I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah. So what what, what is your what was your inspiration? <laughs> I, I knew that you wrote it when you were that age. Is so just- so I was. It's not there's not a direct reference to that play because I hadn't heard of it. But part of it was so there were two things that were key related to that. One was that it was originally written in epistolary format. So it comes out of that tradition that this play that you're referring to came out of without a direct knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. And while there were quite a few other influences beyond this, Reality Bites was definitely an influence, hence the Ethan Hawke reference in chapter one. It was just like that kind of like, I wanted to, Reality Bites was interesting and fun and of its time, but it wasn't like what anybody's life was actually like. Yeah. And so I wanted to write something more realistic but set in that same kind of universe. Yeah, because, like, Reality Bites, it's, I feel like it's the, I think looking back at it now, it's similar to the Lonely Island song, Threw It on the Ground, <laughs> because that's, like, what those people were. I feel like that's what the, the you know, Mr. Sandberg's reference was to that uh, song. Yeah, it's, there's, it's part of a tradition, so, yes, it would reach out yeah. to those broader influences. It's so. like good old Gen X. Yeah, very much so. It's very much a Gen X novel, so, in the novel form. It's very much beyond that now because it's very heavily plugged in with new media and social media yeah. podcasts and all that which obviously are not yeah. around at the time so I, was, I think it's also very similar to like Mr. Robot I haven't seen it yet but but like yeah but it's, it's a similar thing but we will use that in marketing yeah Mr. Robot I mean like also <laughs> also starring Christian Slater ah. yeah so exactly when was this written because I think that that's mm-hmm. that um, they, you know uh, having heard it you know um, uh, for those of us don't who don't know you Mm-hmm. Don't know when you wrote it. Yeah, so like, it's so this was originally written as a novel in 1998. Okay, the whole thing was written in that one year. It took about four or five months to write. Um, originally, that first chapter was written as like, what if someone wrote a suicide instead of writing a suicide note, wrote a suicide story. And so originally, it was one chapter of story, and it just ends with him dying. And then I thought, it's like, what if the whole thing? was nonsense what if it was all shenanigans and so that's what turned it into the novel it was like what if that short story that I had previously yeah. written which was just chapter one even without that obituary at the end what if everything in that was turned out to be false yeah so this is something that I really like um like I had to actually think about it after I listened to it because uh, it threw me for a loop but then I was like there's something really great about this in that has this very makes you think of like Fight Club where you have a dual identity kind of th- scenario and yeah. it, this is almost that time period and so yeah. the book would have been out but i hadn't read it yet yes but so the second the movie, i saw I, the movie yeah, yeah. i liked it and that was the movie came out a year later yeah so yeah. so that's uh really pretty cool in the sense that that uh that, like um i think that there's 
there's always um uh within well i would say writing as an art right oh, of course. and you have um uh, like uh generational like ideas that that you know like you're like oh yes you know like it, that you're like oh my god this is this is uh people thinking on the same wavelength of the time uh through yeah. m- many reasons like uh through pop culture and and stuff of that nature so the the well, Fight Club wasn't an influence because it hadn't been released yet. It, I mean, the book was out, but I hadn't read it. Um, one of the things that leads into Fight Club is a much bigger direct influence on that, and that's Twin Peaks. Okay. Twin Peaks was, like, one of my favorite shows when it originally came out, and this is very specifically written in that vein. As you'll see with two of the characters in Chapter 2, which will come out Tuesday, one of them is named Audrey Palmer, and the other one is named... Uh, coach Lynch, the football. So the coach of the football team is named after David Lynch, and then one of the friend characters of Chris Hodges named Audrey Palmer. A combination of the two names of two characters from mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. So, mm-hmm. um, so all on purpose, obviously. Oh yeah. There's no. There's no. Um, uh, mm, never mind. Uh, Charles, <laughs> let me ask you, and maybe yeah. I'll even ask Professor Rex. Mm-hmm. For <clears throat> first, you can answer in the actor's perspective. Mm-hmm. Did you identify with a character in any way, or is it very different from who you are? And then you could also answer that, Professor X. Yeah, I think, so, I feel like that's, like, being a teenager. Like, is a lot of that, like, I feel like that's why, um, like, Romeo and Juliet is read so often, because it is a, like, it's kind of, it, it sort of, on the one hand, it, it embraces, like, being a teenager, and then it's like, hey, that, that thing is kind of dumb. But also magical and like, uh, what are you gonna do? Kids will be kids. Um, but I, yeah, no, I definitely did that because like, I was a fucking weird kid in high school. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I was ostracized because I was different, as as you do. And I th- and I, and also like, you know, when you're doing that, and also like hormones are happening. Like, you know, hey, listen to a lot of Lincoln Park. Yeah. Which tells you how old I am compared to the person who wrote this. Lincoln Park's awesome. <laughs> I mean, <it> I'm, <laughs> I'm not that much younger. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, I yeah. love Lincoln Park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Lincoln Park would be an anachronism in this story since this place Yes, takes, I know. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but like, not by like five years, right? It's like two that, like I think like, they were yeah. probably together by that time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they came out early 2000s, right? Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. Maybe even late 90s, the first hit or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I they were still that. trying so hard. Yeah. And they were still fighting so far yeah. at that point. But it yeah. in the end, it didn't even matter. Yeah. So. Oh, mm, too soon. <laughs> I'm talking about something else that was not nearly as dark. Yeah. Although I realized in the after show for a suicide podcast, yeah, mm. that's probably the way everyone's going to well, take actually, it. Well, actually, edit this part right the fuck. No, it'll yeah. be the funny part. But but uh, the, bloopers. They had started getting big at that time because yeah. uh, when I went to uh that. 99 was when I uh, was like my freshman year in college and uh, people had actually what was popular back then was um, videos with uh, music vi- music like uh, record like anime vi- videos yeah, with, with, with like actual music videos yep. in the background and the one that was m- one of my favorites was in the end uh, with um, Dragon Ball Z of course mm-hmm. like, the- that's like yeah. absolutely awesome and uh, the other one was like just a girl uh, with um, Dragon Ball Z also so like I'm a I, yeah. you know, like, believe it or not, yes, I am a big Dragon Ball Z fan. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's like a bigger twist than the rest of yeah. the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's one of the things where, like, like, Lincoln Park is, like, 
these the thing for like anime music videos because yeah. it's very emotional. Yeah, similar to like, and I feel like it's I feel like, yeah. mm, Linkin Park, I think of its time is very similar to, like, um, uh, I guess maybe not similar to Nirvana, but I think they're they're similar as like Geisty and like how they colored. They, um, they occupy the same space in a lot yeah. of ways in that they both appeal, appeal to fans who have those kind of run-ins with the darker side, have yeah. those suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts, have those outsidery yeah. feelings. These are both bands that appeal to those type yeah. of kids. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I guess that they're yeah. different yeah. musically, yeah. let's say. But yeah. Uh, not drastically. I mean, Linkin Park's in the t- tradition of just Nirvana's just punkier. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas uh, yeah. Lincoln Park is definitely more. Um, They're more out of a. It's more of a hip hop. Oh. It's sort of well. There's some hip hop too, but it's also it's kind of taking that kind of like. Oh yeah, the, the natural yeah. progression of what was happening in '70s rock, but with a little bit of hip hop influence added in. Actually, yeah. And the hip hop hip hop stuff died off more towards the later parts of their like it was very heavy on their first few albums, and oh, then yeah. it kind of died down. Didn't Jay Z pick them up though? They did a, they did some work together. But oh, okay. yeah, one of the things I really do love about Lincoln Park is that they are really pretty heavy of a band, yeah. and yet they have the the rap sections that just come in and yeah. and it's a lot of energy. You're like, oh my yeah. god! <laughs> yeah. and I think, and that's like that's honestly like that their 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 music is not. I wouldn't say it's good music, but it it taps into the inner teenager, that like especially the song "Numb." Yeah, like if you think about it, I mean, it's very emotional. Is, coming off of this is making me think of like what Lincoln Park was in 1998 versus what it is now to us, and that's just yeah. a general question I want to have Kenny talk more about. Is mm-hmm. like what was the process like for you as a writer yeah. revisiting today something that you wrote in 1998? Well, so it, so it's not my first time revisiting it. Mm-hmm. So I originally wrote it in 1998, and you know, sent it around to publishers oh. and stuff, and got some interest here and there, but nobody wanted to buy it, so unknown author people don't buy your stuff no matter if it's good or not whatever um but people that read it all seemed to like it everybody that read it liked it and so in the mid-2000s there was a group of us who were liberal bloggers and we did a literary blog and i serially released this what blog was it i'm not going to tell because i don't want people reading ahead um but it was serially released in each of the chapters you know once a week type of thing like that and people got really hooked in and liked it but it was, as I said before, it was in that epistolary format, so it was very easy when I revisited it. I think of, like, a significant portion of chapter one is based on true events. Okay. About 70% of it, I would say. Okay. The darkest stuff, for the most part, is exaggerated and twisted and changed. Can you yeah. say how you came to be acquainted with those events? Oh, it's much my life. It's your life. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there was a there was, for instance, there was a kid who killed himself, but his name was Tom, mm. not Tim. Or no, his name was Tim, not Tom. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. I switched it. So slight reference there, and then. Um, my childhood, my teenage years were more like chapter one than they are the rest of it. The rest mm-hmm. of it's completely not related. Um, okay. Not 100% not related. There's some yeah. things here and there. But um, it, the idea was to basically to take whatever was in the first chapter, which was actual feelings that I felt at the time that I don't necessarily have all those feelings now, mm-hmm. and to keep them authentic from that time period mm-hmm. and not adjust them at all. And so it was like, yeah. this needs to be crystal held in place, not adjusted and updated yeah. anyway because yeah. it's more honest and accurate that way but it's also super relevant as is it doesn't need to be updated yeah, yeah. so but um, so with that though like um uh, 
do you ever find yourself like going back in what you wrote? For example, like uh, so I lived in Hong Kong in 1985, and my my mom had passed away, and uh, you know, I lived with my aunt. And uh, one of the things is, whenever I look back at the experience, everybody's asking me, "Oh, you must have loved Hong Kong." And uh, actually, Hong Kong for a kid, like as a five-year-old, is not that fun, <laughs> especially when you're. And I try not to. I have a very skewed point of view of it, and I don't know if I was mature enough to actually like think, you know, like um, th understand what other people were doing. So the environment. So I always like have a a hard time describing how I actually feel because there was things that that like story anecdotal stories well just stories that that you'd be like that's craziness for example one of the things that when i came to the states one of the first books i read was uh, frog and toad and was about eating wet sandwiches and i knew exactly what a wet sandwich tasted like because so my sister who was much younger than me we used to have this this um this pastry with this like uh, it's called like a pineapple bread in Chinese it's like a bowl of bao and it has this like custard topping and my sister would get it first she'd eat all the the sugar stuff off of it mm -hmm. and then my aunt would like like um uh, like it would go for the next day go to the fridge come back out they'd steam it and I'd get offered the second part of it. <laughs> so like, it's just like god awful like when that's one of your yeah. main memories. Like it's like burned into your head. So like you can imagine that's one of the things I do not eat ever. <laughs> yeah. <really. laughs> so I try Yes, so I try not and I love Frog and to Toad um that story yeah, yeah. because you can actually relate to what what bread what what bread actually tastes like. But but it is so do you find yourself kind of um, like a, like a, what is a writer's process revisiting material and, and um, uh, assessing the environment of that time? Well, it, so in this one, because it was something that I had been through effectively a rewrite already. Okay. Like 98 and then I guess it would have been 2004 or 2005. I yeah. went through the whole thing and did a rewrite as I serially published it. So it, I had already done the process of revisiting it years later and seeing yeah. that. So this was a second time doing that. So it was just like, I just remembered that it was like, man, this very vividly captured what I was trying to do. So I'm very happy with this. I want to get it back out okay. there. And it didn't need much tweaking. In order to change it to a podcast format, maybe about 10% of what had been written was shifted from monologue from the narrator to dialogue with interviewees okay so that was like the biggest thing that only is about 10 percent of this stuff changed because most of it was already written in documents yeah. and transcripts so, and letters yeah. and diary was entries. The it was already like device that, so. different was the, when you recorded it first nope no no it's there's literally no it's nothing changed other than individual dialogue and just the way exposition was handled everything else oh, okay. is the same as it was in 98 okay yeah there might have been i think from the original writing to this first rewrite, yeah. there was some fixing of like plot holes and stuff like that. But okay. from that but from they, last week when I or two weeks ago whenever when I first started on it, it yeah. I just went three days and went through line by line, rewrite everything, okay. rewrote stuff, and then it was done. Was it in a, like same thing, same thing with the tone? Was the tone the same as the? Yeah, yeah. The tone is yeah. The tone's exactly where I wanted it from. Again, it's like supposed to be in that somewhere in that it's got that kind of Twin Peaksy vibe, maybe even a hint of like. Kind of like the the movie Clue. 
Okay, yeah. There's this dark stuff happening, but there's some like there's some interesting, clever wordplay decisions that are being yeah. done that, while less realistic, are more artistic and more fun. Yeah, and so, so it's so. there's there's some the timeline is a hundred percent impossible to follow. Yeah. Not so much with the story itself, but with what you're listening to. Yeah. So, there's so like, like a... you're playing Chris, but you're not playing Chris. You're playing an yeah. actor. Yeah. pretending to be Chris because Chris is and then, dead. Honestly, like that. But made, what year is it? Yeah. Is it 2017? Is it yeah. 1999? What year is it? I'm the, I don't know what I'm telling yeah. you. It doesn't make any sense. And that's and actually, it's inconsistent yeah. on purpose as a Twin Peaksy thing. Yeah. The present timelines weaves in a little bit in, in yeah. and out of what could be reality or, you know, mm-hmm. um, some yeah. how beyond level omniscience. And that actually made it easier for me to do that because, like, oh, I'm playing. I'm not just playing a teenager. I'm playing an actor playing a teenager, and that allowed me to mm-hmm. sort of like be like, oh, I'm doing what I'm doing, or like trying to mine yeah. my subjective past yeah. for angst. Yeah. And to, it was specifically, uh, you're supposed to be, uh, his character in the thing is actually this kind of like community theater, relatively youngish yeah. guy who's going to make this podcast his big didn't break. Even have to and that's why that. he's, he's been told to overact a little bit when he's yeah. doing this and told to hit certain lines in ways that are mm-hmm. off. Like yeah. saying words with the wrong emphasis because he's not familiar with that yeah. particular part. Like never, never mind. mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Nirvana is never mind. He's like never mind. It's like, <laughs> it was like a, someone that clearly doesn't know this thing pronouncing yeah. it wrong slightly. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And that was done on purpose because that's who he is. But when he interacts in other chapters, his vocalization and there's a thing in chapter three where he interacts with the woman that's the character that he was into. Mm-hmm. She's playing herself, but I don't, we don't know when. So it's this weird timelessness, mm. Twin Peaksy yeah. kind of thing. There doesn't matter because the actual narrative that you're being told, whenever you get to a character that's telling the truth, all that's real. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are telling the truth, though. So, Charles, <laughs> what was that like for you? Have you ever had uh, this kind of task before as an actor? Uh, to develop your kind of two characters, right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, Would you say that? I yes. Yeah, so this is actually it's one of the first. I guess no, it's not true. So I I was in a production of. Uh, uh, Tom Stoppard's The Actor's Nightmare. Mm. And that's the thing where, like, so the if people who don't know this, The Actor's Nightmare is about an act... It's like a guy who just goes on stage, and, like, he's in a different t- types of plays, and, like, you don't know if it's... Like, the people who are playing the other characters, like, are they playing the actual literal character, or they're acting playing an actor playing that character? Mm. And I think it was... And I think, like, as it as it goes on, it becomes like, oh, this is clearly real. Because at the end, it's one of those... It's the play where the... Uh, where, um... What's his name? Who's got the mask? Fifth of November Man. The Guy Fox, where Guy oh, Fox yeah, gets yeah. executed. It's like a fucking real executioner. So, like, that, I think that was kind of it. And that's, like, really easy because, like, an actor, as an actor, I think you, you can kind of, um, it's kind of easy to sort of, like, play it, but, like, allow people to see the, the stitching underneath. Like, in, especially, although I will say it's kind of hard to do it when you're doing it naturally. Because a lot of the plays that do like have plays within a plays, like your your noise is off. It's like oh, there's an actor and they're playing a role, but something external force is acting on it, and like and then you can see that you can see like oh, the mask is starting to slip, mm-hmm. and that way. But I was still able to do that by like sort of like overacting, ish. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's really easy to like it's 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 easy because like overacting and like being a teenager. Very similar. <laughs> That's a good point. In terms of uh, intensity being out of place. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 just like ah, all elevens. Yeah. 
Well, and the, and the how how would you compare yourself to that uh, character? Oh, jeez. So in, in that one dimension. Yeah, like honestly, like that wasn't just like teenager me. That was like me in a college, and then me like. <laughs> Now, and then, like, for the listeners at home, what is the space between you and college? And you okay, so I'm, I'm 27 years old, so it's like, it's like me from like when I was maybe like 16 to like, I mean, I'm still dealing with it, like as we all are, and also you know, these millennials, they never grow up, but uh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, it's 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 a it's an ongoing thing, and I think that's also when I act, I tend to mine my own emotional like. Uh, like sensitivity and that allows me to like be more I guess emotive if not necessarily realistic but still like you get that sort of emotional truth of like feeling something really hard well uh, when you take a character that may relate to you is it yeah. easier to is oh, it easier to portray it for me definitely like that's I think because when I when I am cast as something I am cast as either like a creepy person or like a butler, and those are two people, those are two, like, archetypes that I fulfill to, like, poss possibly, like, the people that I see around, right? So I think that's, that's basically what I have been learning in acting ever since I, like, started acting. So, yeah. What do you think the millennial generation's experience is that's different to this guy? Mm. So speaking as a millennial, I think it's, I feel like it's kind of similar because, like, the 90s... Well, so I grew up in... When I went to college... I mean, sorry, I went to high school in, like, the mid-aughts. Mm -hmm. So it was still based... It was still very similar to the 90s. Mm -hmm. And there was still, like, a whole bunch... As a, There still is. Like, I grew up in... Uh, I grew up in central Ohio. Like, in a very, like, suburby part of Ohio. I don't know if you... The, the, the musical Bye Bye Birdie is basically where I, where I went to school. And people were still, like... Like, if you were out of the norm, you would be like, Oh, this guy's a... This guy's gay... And we're all homophobes here because, you know, it's still like the mid-90s and people are still like fucking shitty. Mm. Uh, well, and that's kind of, that's that's really kind of the point. There, like, there are very clear underlying themes of this and they were there from the beginning. Yeah. I'm only going to kind of hint at them for now because, as you can see, the last part of chapter one clearly says, wait, what? There's a twist there. It's yeah. not the last twist. Yeah. This is a twisty, you yeah. know, kind yeah. of thing. And so, but some of the underlying themes you're starting to see that particularly in the South, particularly in athletics, particularly in high school, particularly in the 90s, yeah. this concept of we're being taught how to be men mm -hmm. and what we're taught is bad for all of us. Yeah, exactly. It's bad not just for the women that have to deal with it or the gay people that have to deal with it. It is yeah. self-destructive as well. So yeah. that's, that's the key of what the you should be picking up from the theme of chapter one, but it, yeah. that's just the start. I know from uh, a personal perspective, I would say it's fair to say in the late 90s there was a realization that may, it may be different in the South to some degree. Yeah that there was an issue with the way masculinity has been handled up until yeah. that point. And that awareness was starting to seep in, but what wasn't there yet, and it was really only starting and maybe not even really started yet, was acceptance of because yeah. of, of, of people of different sexual orientations. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, and I, I know it was very clear that while, uh, while there was certainly... Uh, modest level of acceptance of your humanity, of, yeah. your, of your existence. It's just like, oh, you're a weirdo, and, like, you deserve to be at least ostracized. 
Especially yeah. in Tallahassee. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like, especially like when I grew up in, in Columbus, Ohio, a lot of it was like, oh, it's being gay is a choice, and you made the wrong choice. Yeah. And that's like that almost was just, it, yeah. yeah, that's like just as shitty, yeah. if not more. So like that's a... Yeah. Throw another little curve into the timeline of the story is the story is not written about 1998 originally. The events in my mm-hmm. life that this happened happened a decade earlier. Oh, so this is wow. actually the real is the real part of it is taking place in like 88 and 89 oh. and it's transplanted to the reality of that time. And so there's all kinds of different little yeah. things that are real and fake and some of yeah. them are exactly accurate. Others are completely yeah. off. So I mean, I feel like with Honey was, Wahlberg was oh. teacher of the year, my senior year, not his. Oh, That's 10 yeah. years later. That's true. So it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, it looks like, cause I feel like it, first of all, like time of the flat circle, but also it seems like, especially in high school and especially when you're like at such a like an insular place there's always that in-group out-group mentality yeah. i feel like they're always well so i feel like this Probably. could be the eternal story yeah. the earth story yeah. so one of the things that uh the i do American story. oh hey, hey one of the things i do absolutely love and uh t- caught me by surprise probably shouldn't have caught me by surprise the leading music into the podcast mm-hmm. So where does it come from? (laughs) Okay, so that is that's part of the intro, and this also works on layers too because everything in here has layers. But this one all works. That's a song off of my first album, Core Nerd. That's the instrumental beat behind a song called American Dream. Okay. And American Dream is actually a song that couples like references to high-grade weapons military and the use of it. So murder, killing, bombing, hooked up with. Uh, the, uh, what do you call them? The uh, um, the slogans of fast food and products from commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah. slogans. So American Dream, and it's, it couples, one line is a commercial slogan, the next line is something about extreme violence in the name of patriotism. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so American Dream, and so that's why I chose that particular one, but also it fits sound-wise. Yeah, so, yeah. and um, is um, that's on Bandcamp, right? Yep. Okay. So that is on Bandcamp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll actually probably play it as the outro to this podcast oh, in the yes, final version. Right because it's, okay. it's excellent. I yeah. I was like, wow, this works perfect. <laughs> not not that I not that I would expect anything less, but but um, you know, uh, melodies are hard to choose and like uh, figure out. Sure. As far as like um, this really gets that emotion, and what I love about it is that it gives a very I don't know if it's the in like um. Uh, between the actual like spoken intro by um by uh, uh Jim Jim Stormy, Stormy Weathers. Weathers yeah uh, so got to be a pause the, there the whole <laughs> intro it's a very twilight uh, zone feel and that's really that's timeless which is awesome and like, also uh, certainly a massive influence if, yeah. if you were going to talk about top 5 influences on when, me when I was writing this twilight zone would have been in there yeah. stephen king very much clearly yeah. explicitly referenced in the beginning of the next chapter yeah. um, although i also threw a little red herring in there i also mentioned dean coons and i hated dean coons so that was the review of um, the first chapter from all american a fake crime podcast you can just do it, you know I'm loving it. You can just hurt it, you know I'm stabbing it. A diamond is forever, a little dabble do ya. Armor piercing bullets will run right through ya. Have it your way, home of the whopper. Get your batteries topped with the copper to keep going and going and going and going. Our bombs keep blowing and blowing and blowing and blowing. It takes a lick and it keeps on ticking. Keep on fighting, keep on kicking. Melts in your mouth. 
not in your hands. Kill the enemy like you're playing rock band. Raid, kills, bugs, dead. Knives, kill, kids, dead. Guns, kill, men, dead. Bombs, kill, countries, dead. This is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you got to do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. This is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you got to do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. GE. We bring good things to life, but not today. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Bounty towels, the quicker picker-upper. Laser-guided bunker buster. Silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. Silly rabbit, AKs are for kids. Silly rabbit, claymores are for kids. Silly rabbit, it's all for the kids. Think outside the bun. Think inside the gun. Give a hoot, don't pollute. You surrender, I'm still gonna shoot. What would you do for a Klondike bar? What would you do for a brand new car? What would you do for a Mac-10? What would you do to make sure that you win? This is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you gotta do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. This is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you gotta do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. Tastes great, less filling, more death, more killing. It's Miller time, it's killer time. Obey your thirst, do your worst. Got milk, snap, crackle, pop. White phosphorus, good to the last drop. Be all that you can be. Burn all that you can't see. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. 200 dead kids laying on the ground Rough shots from a big bad gun Bet you can't eat Just one Bet you can't shoot Just one Bet you can't kill Just one Bet you can't drop Just one bomb This is what you're dreaming of This is what you want to do This is what you gotta do This is what they tell you to This is what they make you do this is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you got to do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. This is what you're dreaming of. This is what you want to do. This is what you got to do. This is what they tell you to. This is what they make you do. This is what they make you do.